Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. Welcome back to another season of the About Consent podcast. It has been a hot minute and I'm thrilled to be back joining you with a new season of incredible interviews, deep diving information on current events that have been impacting everyone. And what I really want to do is help bring more depth and nuance to all of the conversations we need to be having so that you can be better equipped to talk to other people about how to create consent culture, how to dismantle rape culture, and how to keep all of our children safer and as survivors so that we can begin to thrive. This season, I'm kicking off the newest episode with an interview with Aaron Marin. Now, this interview was done via Instagram, and there was a little bit of a lag in terms of how we were connecting. So you may hear my voice overlap over Aaron's voice. So just keep that in mind. This is from an Instagram interview that we did live in April of 2023 for Abuse Prevention, Child Abuse Prevention Month. Now, the reason that I'm excited that Erin is the one that's kicking off the new season for the About Consent podcast is because she's doing incredible work. And before we dive into the interview, I just want to share a bit about her and also give you a quick trigger warning. Please note that if you do find yourself triggered, please pause the podcast, take time to regulate your nervous system, do whatever it is that you need to do to get grounded and either jump back on and listen or take a moment and maybe, you know, come back to it in a week when you feel more ready and have the capacity to listen. Now, let me give you a bit about Erin and who she is and why I'm so thrilled that she's joined me for this interview. So in 2008, she began writing legislators to require personal body safety to be taught to kids in school. And you'll hear the story of that uh, in this interview. But just to give you a quick background, so after suffering years of sexual abuse for six years of her childhood, Erin broke her silence when she was 13 at a children's advocacy center, the place Erin reclaimed her voice and began her journey to healing. This decision brought her on a crusade across America to pass what is known as Erin's Law, which is the law that we're going to talk about today. Aaron's law is the first U.S. child sexual abuse prevention education law requiring children to be educated in schools. Aaron has been traveling state to state, testifying to lawmakers to pass Aaron's law for seven years. It is currently passed in 38 states. And in December 2015, President Obama signed the federal version of Aaron's law, providing federal funding for schools to use. It was the first federal bill passed funding sexual abuse prevention education. Aaron's media appearances have included everything from Access Hollywood, Tamron Hall, CBS Morning Show, Good Morning America, ABC Nightline, CNN, Dr. Drew, Inside Edition. I mean, you name it. She has been on it because the work she's doing is incredible. Aaron has appeared in People Magazine, Glamour Magazine, Time Magazine, New York Times. I mean, like I said, you name it, she's been on it. As her profession, she has earned her master's degree in social work and is the author of Stolen Innocence, Living for Today, The Unimaginable Act, Bailey, No Ordinary Cat, and The Diary of a Cat Named Karen. Now, for all of the reasons, obviously, that you just heard of why she's so amazing, she's also just a genuinely amazing person. I met her three summers ago, um, at a panel where I was moderating and she was one of the speakers and I got to learn about the work she's doing and I am fully in support. And for those who are thinking, well, what should be taught in schools? We're going to dive into that today. So I know you're going to find this very valuable, especially if you are in a state where this law has already passed 
or want to have it passed in your state if it's not already. And if your child is going to be going into daycare, preschool, elementary school, middle school, high school, all of the above, this applies. So please stay tuned in and take a listen to this incredible episode, which I know is going to inspire you to take action. So without further ado, here is my interview with Erin Marin. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you, um, you know, connect. I know we met like three summers ago when we did that panel. Um, we were, uh, it was, I think, organized by a kid's, um, a kid's book about sexual assault by Evelyn Yang. And it was a promotion for that book. And, uh, yeah. but we were, you know, talking about this issue. Uh, we're still in the pandemic, like there was still lockdown. Um, we know that kids at that time were not getting, um, you know, access to the information that they needed. They weren't given access to mandated mm -hmm. reporters. And, you know, we were in critical times, right, of course. So um, it was really yep. my first introduction to um, all of your work, which I'm so inspired by, and I can't wait to dive into. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I've been, you know, sharing about you and your work um, ever since. But, you know, we always have to keep educating and creating awareness. And of course, we're here for April. Abuse Prevention Month, and uh, you know, yes. I know you're busy, so thank you for making the time to join me. Oh, no, no so, problem. Yeah, I would love for you to share a I little bit about your personal story, if you're okay with that. I know you you are you obviously have written books about it, and you're you're open to talking about it. Um, yeah. But I know, and just a trigger warning for anyone who's watching that, um, you know, we're going to be sharing some information, but not, to, we don't get into the details. I think we both are very respectful about how we share survivor stories. So I'd love for you to share um, some of your background and what led you to doing the work that you're doing today. Yeah, so I um, am here in the Chicago suburbs, born and raised where I've been my whole life. And um, I come from a family of three girls. And it was in kindergarten that I met my best friend. And um, her life was a little different than mine. She um, didn't have a dad in the picture. It was just her mom as a single parent raising two young children. But mm -hmm. she had her uncle that lived with her as kind of played the caretaker, watch the kids while mom worked. So anytime I played over at her house, I never saw her mom. It was always the uncle watching her. Well, my very first overnight was at her house when I was just the end of kindergarten. And it was at that overnight um, that I woke up in the middle of the night to the bedroom door opening while I was sleeping on the floor. And you can all guess where the story is going, headed. Um, the reason I'm here to talk to you mm -hmm. and why I've done errands law across this country. Um, but this uncle of hers came into the room and sexually abused me for the first, not last time, because something to know about these predators if they're getting yeah. away with it, they're going to keep right. getting away with it until they get caught. They're not just going to stop and do this once right. if they have access to the child. And so that is what happens. This man continued to sexually abuse, rape me from the ages of six, seven, eight, threaten me the entire time. I know where you live. I will come get you. I feared like he was going to break into my window at night. Wow. I would check my closets before I went to bed thinking he was hiding in the closets. I eventually found out that he was also abusing my best friend, his niece, which, right, of course, right. duh, now as an adult, you know, of course he is. But back then, as a six, seven, right. eight-year-old, I wasn't thinking those things. I thought he was just doing it to me. So she made me pinky promise her not to tell anybody what he does because he told her they would um, be homeless and mom couldn't stay here because, you know, he's supporting her in order for her to work and watch the right. kids. And that's what these predators do. They're manipulative. They threaten kids, and it's the threats that keep kids silent. And that's why kids don't speak up. That's why it doesn't just happen once. It happens multiple times because kids are only often getting the education right. from the perpetrators. You be quiet. You know, no one's going to believe you. So because of all the threats I was given, um, I didn't tell. And I had all the behavior problems, red flags of a child that was being abused. I was acting out. I put my hand through a window. I mean, what... Six yeah. and a half, almost seven-year-old puts their hand through a window. Like, uh, I mean, and the school and parents all understood there was something going on. And they all sat down. They put a whole IEP, individual education plan in place for me. They labeled me mm -hmm. behavior, emotionally disturbed child. Still have all the paperwork. It's really interesting to go back and read. All these goals they put in place, 
Aaron will find three proper ways to deal with her anger. But exactly. why are we not getting to the root of why Aaron is angry? Why are we just dealing with this surface issue of, oh, making an excuse? Oh, she's just acting out. She's going through a phase. There was a period there. My dad moved out of the house. My parents split up. So they said I was acting out because of the, you know, right. disruption in my life with my parents. Well, how did my abuse end there? Um, no, it wasn't a police officer coming in, giving me personal body safety education, telling me how I can report this and speak up. It was finding out that we were moving. Um, I was going to be going to a new school, still living in the same town, but new school um, mm -hmm. wouldn't be seeing my best friend anymore. And suddenly I'm in a new school, new home, making new friends. And of course, these new friends are now asking me to have overnights. And of course, I'm saying no to all of them because I don't trust the dads, stepdads, older brothers, you name it, after right. what had happened to me for literally three years. Um, but all those behavior problems that I had living at my oldest disappeared. Suddenly, I became this easygoing kid, no problems. All the services the school was giving me at the former school decided to discontinue them at the new school mm. because I was being a good kid. What I didn't know by my parents moving was we were getting that much closer to mm. the next perpetrator in my life. I passed their house every day on the way to the elementary school. Literally a path took me to their house. This time, no, it's not another neighbor. This time it was a family member. My older teenage cousin lived literally down the street. Like I said, passed their house every day on the way to the elementary school. And now in fifth grade, I woke up um, sleeping at my grandparents' condo, which he was also staying the night. There was multiple cousins sleeping over there and woke up in the middle of the night on an air mattress to him sexually abusing me. Well, just like prior, this went on from the ages of 11, 12, 13. I'm being threatened, Aaron, mm -hmm. I don't believe you. This is our little secret. You have no proof. Aaron, if you tell anyone, you'll destroy our family. So what did I do? I turned to my pink diary and I start writing everything that is happening in the diary and well, hiding and, under my mattress. And I just, I, I just have to interrupt so, because I think I'm, that's so powerful that you were able to like put it down on paper somewhere. Um, I don't think a lot of kids, you know, even have that outlet. And, you know, it sounds weird to think of it as an outlet, but it's also a documentation of what happened, which, uh, you know, I, I, I'll let you continue. But, you know, I think that's so powerful for kids, you know, to, to have somewhere to put that information because if they feel like they have no one, right, at least this, this diary. And that yes. I, I'm curious to know, and I'm going to ask you when you're done, but if that was part of what helped you um, at, at least testify in any way or what happened with that, but I'll let you continue. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I've been documenting all this abuse in the back of the diary and, you know, describing, you know, what's going on. In fact, there was one entry that said um, how he had done it again. And, you know, a, I said a police officer, officer friendly comes in and teaches us not to answer the parents, answer the door and my parents are gone, not to talk to strangers. I thought people like my cousin jumped out of bushes, you know, and attacked you at night. They mm. don't warn us about our own family. And I'm reading that going, you know, all these years later, yeah. they don't warn us about our own family. They don't warn you about the people you know and trust. 90% of the time, children are being hurt and abused yeah. by someone they know and trust. Yeah, what do all the parents talk to their kids about? Stranger danger. What do all the schools show the, you know, the video and have the police officer come talk yeah. about? The stranger. You know, the, the look for the lost puppy, taking candy from the stranger. Nothing when it comes to getting to the root of yeah. what we really need to be concerned about. And that is teaching kids personal body safety education. So the abuse had continued for, um, you know, almost two and a half years. And I eventually found my voice when... With predators, as you heard with my earlier case, if they're getting away with abusing yeah. one child, they're often doing it to another child. And so I find out at 13, walking up the street, my 11-year-old sister turns to me and out of nowhere blurts out the words, Brian's gross. Brian is that teenage cousin. And I literally stopped in the street. I remember exactly where I was. And I looked at her and I said, he's doing it to you too? I was shocked. I was so angry and we sat there and talked for several hours and I said, we have to tell mom and dad. There was this little bit of sense of relief her coming to me with this because then I knew it's two against one. Someone has to believe us. He's always drilled in my head. No one will believe you. You have no proof. 
you know, right. if there's two of us saying he's doing this, well, aren't they going to believe us? So as you can imagine, my parents were devastated. First thing my dad said to me when he left work and met me in the kitchen, he looked at me and he said, why didn't you tell me he was doing this to you? I said, dad, because he told me you mm -hmm. and everybody else wouldn't believe me. So I didn't think you would believe me. Uh, I mean, this was a guy that was a standout football player, great grades, and, you know, didn't come across as someone that would give you any right. bad vibes of someone that would do something like this. I mean, and this was going on Thanksgiving, Christmas, um, family birthday parties. I mean, you name it. We were such a large family. We were seeing each other all the time. My mm -hmm. limit saw him at least two, three times a week because they lived down the street. We were always having dinner over there. So we always found ways to lock me in basements, bedrooms, closets, you name it, abuse me, keep me silenced. And suddenly now my sister and I are breaking our silence. And what do my parents want? My parents want to make sure that this cousin does right. not repeat this behavior to somebody else. So my dad confronted his sister, walked over to her house that night. Of course, she was shocked, said she would talk to him. Well, of course, my cousin denied it like he told me he would. His parents took his wow. side, called my sister and I liars. My parents, my parents just wanted, they didn't want to get the police involved. They just wanted him to get psychological help. Because I can tell you right now, locking these predators up for a year or two years and then yeah. releasing back to society is not effective. If you get them some psychological help, you know, you might have a little better success of getting right. to the root of why they're behaving this way. So they wanted to make sure that he got help. Well, my aunt and uncle wanted nothing to do with that. They didn't want to accept that their son had done this. And so my parents felt like they're, you know, had no other option than to pick up the phone and call law enforcement. Next thing I know, my sister and I are being brought to a place called the Children's Advocacy Center. There's over 900 of them in America. And these centers were created to give kids a safe mm -hmm. place to tell their story when they've been abused. Before they existed, 1985 was the first year they ever came, first one in Huntsville, Alabama. Before they existed, kids had to go to police departments when they reported abuse to, you know, when if they disclosed at school, at home, they were sent to sit and talk at a police department. Well, yeah, that's terrifying for a kid. Kids associate police departments as a scary place. This is where the bad people go. Am I not going to be believed yeah, and be thrown in jail? You know, these are the thoughts that go in the mind of a six, seven, eight. Exactly. So they created this place to give kids a safe environment, not this sterile police department, but child-friendly, you know, um, you name it, yeah. stuffed animals, colorful walls, beanbag chairs, you know, all sorts of stuff to make it comfortable for the kids. And the children are met with a forensic interviewer. And that's what I did. I sat down with this woman and sat there and told her um, all the things that my cousin had done. I wasn't telling her what happened when I was six, seven, and eight. Mm. Um, I was still keeping that, my lips sealed, because I saw how devastated um, my parents were when they found this out. There was no way I could be like, well, hey, right. you know, he wasn't the only one. You know, when we lived over there, you know, there's no way I could do that. So I just kept quiet and, you know, disclosed what had all happened um, with my cousin. My sister was then interviewed. Um, I could tell you this, these organizations, the Children's Advocacy Centers are amazing places. Yeah. They do incredible things for kids. And I had a large extended family um, that did not support us, but the Children's Advocacy Center came alongside us. And, and that's did. so needed. That's and, so needed um, in those situations so my, where family isn't behind you. Yeah. Well, and the, the great thing, the great thing about them is the fact that for many kids, um, they would never get the psychological help that they need because parents don't have insurance to send them somewhere. So without children's advocacy centers, they're nonprofits. All their services are free. So they provide all this follow-up care, therapy for the kids, group therapy for the children, parent support groups for parents dealing with the, you know, the aftermath of having these children have been abused, letting go of the guilt and how to help your kid. And so yeah. oh, they do amazing work for kids. Um, and so eventually thereafter, um, law enforcement called my cousin in and he was questioned and to our shock and surprise confessed. Yeah. I was like, wow. <coughs> wow. So, so he was put under arrest, but because he's a juvenile, because my parents did not want us to get on a stand and testify against him. He went through court, juvenile court on his own. They told us. 
you know, this route, we will make sure that he gets the help my parents always wanted. So he was given seven years probation, community, thousand hours community service, couldn't come near my sister and I and had to do um, therapy yeah. to get to the issues of, yeah. you know, yeah. all his problems. <laughs> wow. And, and I mean, I think that's, you know, really powerful to know that there is some recourse, right? Because I think a lot of, especially when it's a family member, there is so much fear around like, what's going to happen? And what do I say? You know, is is it going to break up the family? And like, there's so much pressure on the child oh, who has yes. finally been able to use their voice, right? Oh. We encourage kids to use their voice. But you know, how, how scary it is. And this is, you know, just again, for those who are watching, this is why we as parents have to be willing to get uncomfortable, because we're otherwise going to put our kids in a position where they are in really uncomfortable situations, not only in the abusive situation but yes. of being able to then try yes. to report and tell and what happens in the aftermath of that you know those are even more yes. uncomfortable but mm -hmm. if we can if we can step into these uncomfortable conversations ourselves first and create awareness and education yes. which is what you're all about you know we can prevent these kinds of things and and these kinds of experiences from happening in the first place and getting you know youth also who are perpetrators the the help that they need right because like you said if if there isn't any treatment if if it had gone through in in many cases right you have parents who don't want to go to the police and they just kind of brush it under the rug and tell everybody not to talk about it you're just gonna you know separate the person and that's it that person is now going to possibly and most likely continue offending someone else you know the these are mm -hmm. so yes. important for, you know, families to support their children, to believe them, to do what's right. I mean, there's so much, there's so much here yeah. to unpack, but so okay, finish. Tell, I mean, I'm so I'm, I didn't know all of these details of your story, but I think it's <laughs> so important for parents to know yeah. um, because they don't consider it's like, I, I think a lot of yeah. parents are like, yes, I want my child, you know, to be safe and I want to prevent abuse but they don't really understand the full scope of what they're actually preventing. It's not just the actual abuse, which is of course horrendous, but also the, the trust that's broken, you know, in that relationship with the child, the mm -hmm. fear that they carry, yeah. you know, throughout the day, like you said, you know, you're smashing your hand through windows because you had no outlet. And, you know, mm -hmm. and then when it's finally, you realize this happened now to my sister, you know, you're, in a position where you're like, I have yep. to, you know, say something, and you were able to get up the courage for both of you to say something, and then you still had to deal with all this aftermath, right? And so this is part of all of those pieces are oh, what yes. we're trying to avoid and prevent, not just the abuse itself, but all of the trauma that follows after, right? It's almost like re-traumatization for a child going through this whole process. Oh, yeah, especially yeah. when it's in a family. You know, when it's in a family, it was different from the neighbor, um, you know, that whole situation. And the crazy thing there is when I finally disclosed at 22 years old, 21, um, you know, obviously he was flat out denying it. He was still living with his sister all these years later. But what did his sister do that my dad's family didn't do? She believed me and kicked her brother out and doesn't have a relationship with him. What did my family, my dad's family do? My cousin confessed. And they all disowned wow. us. Yeah. Does that make any sense? He freaking confessed. I mean, it's one thing if it's a he said, she said. But the fact that he confessed to multiple counts and we still just yeah. let's sweep this under the rug. It's, I don't get it. Mm. It's so freaking messed up. And anyways, um, but, you know, and, and he really pretty much got a slap on the wrist. His mother fought the system that he only had to get his seven years of probation, six months probation was reduced and saw a counselor a few times. Um, and if you were to ask me today, you know, do I think he's a changed man, even though I confronted him when I was in high school, because I had gone down such a self destructive path, self harm, suicide attempt, you name it, severely depressed, he was constantly mm -hmm. haunting me nightmarish flashbacks, I finally confronted him. He was away at college, I was in high school, wrote him a nasty letter, never a therapist goes write a letter to your cousin, don't send it to him. But bring it back to me and tell me, you have a lot of anger towards him. What would you say to him? So I wrote this letter. I'm like, oh, okay. So I wrote this letter out, five pages. Um, about midnight, I go, she mm -hmm. doesn't need this to hear this. He does. So I did a little Google search, found where he was going to college, and sent it off. Um, if you were to read it, which you can, because I published it in my first book, Stolen Innocence. 
I, uh, you wouldn't think I would get a response with the things that I said to him, but I did, shockingly. And that response led to five sentences, but it started this dialogue of us going back and forth, wow. communicating for seven months. And eventually I wanted to understand, were you abused? Did something happen to you? Right. Not that that makes right. any excuse for any abuser's behavior, but yeah. you often see a pattern. And so I was like, and he said, no, nothing ever happened to him. I mean, and I was just trying to understand right. why, why did you do this then? You know, and why were you, and the questions I would ask him, you were doing it to me. Why were you doing it to my sister? A lot of these questions he dodged. I confronted him about mm -hmm. the girls. I had heard he assaulted what? after me in high school at the under age drinking party up at near our parents lake house and of course flat out denied it all but with his history and i'm hearing people from completely wisconsin right. high school you know coming to me and finding this kind of stuff out i was like this is somebody that, that has this you know i would yeah, describe yeah. him as a sociopath he's a serial he's a serial and perpetrator so oh oh yes so he denied all that my, my talk to him about it but then um, I get the letter most survivors never get. I'm now senior of high school, and I get this letter saying, I'm sorry, I hope you can forgive me, but if you cannot, I understand. And I looked at that letter and said, mm -hmm. you know what? I have to stop hating this person. I have to stop having all this anger and hatred towards him and do something positive. And because and, by staying angry, right. I'm just letting him continue to take my joy and happiness. Why don't I do something productive and positive mm. out of this awful thing that happened in my life? So I forgave him and turned all those letters and my diary into a book. And right before I graduated high school, I published it. And that's what really set me off my end of my senior year to, you know, travel the country and put a face and voice on this. And it's been 19 years now. It was March of 2004 that my book was published. Um, and, you know, I've been ever since then traveling the country got my degree in social work and it was during my senior year of college that I saw that passage in my diary about how we don't talk to kids you know teach us about what yeah. you learn about stranger danger so I did some research and in public schools across America we are required tornado drills bus uh, twice a year um, bus drills twice a year some parts of the country you know you know you got the earthquake drills we do dare. 80% of the country teaches kids mm -hmm. the eight ways to say no to drugs. Well, do you know what? Do you know what I bring with me across America when I go into every capital and sit in front of a bunch of legislators? I pull out that dare card that I still have and I flip it over and I said, dare taught me the eight ways right here on how to say no to drugs. But where was the lesson on the eight ways and how to get away until today? I never got that message. The only education I got came yeah. from these two predators that were abusing yeah. me. And that was to stay silent. And so, you know, and now we do with all the, you know, the gun violence that goes on. We teach kids the lockdown drills, bullying intervention, suicide prevention. But still nothing, you know, going back 14 years that I began yeah. this was teaching this subject on personal body safety. So I reached out to my state senator and I said, I want to create something where we require every year kindergarten to 12th grade teaching kids personal body safety education age appropriate we're teaching our kindergartners is not the same right. as what we're teaching our sixth graders empowering kids the difference between safe and unsafe touch safe and unsafe secrets identifying five safe adults you can go to you know if something is yeah. happening and you feel you know you need to tell somebody because sometimes kids go to mom and mom does nothing so we need to identify the teacher the principal the school social right. worker the and other people in their life giving kids this education because I'm confident had I been given this message, I would have yep. spoken up and told, but I was only threatened. So I went after getting Aaron's law, which was titled in my home state of Illinois, but I made it my mission, quit my full-time master's job as a counselor at a youth agency and quit working there to make it my mission to get Aaron's law passed. And you've gotten quite too close. I mean, I was told by my goodness, state. it's exciting yes. to see. Yeah. Well, what's, what's, cr what's crazy is my state Senator told me 14 years ago, Aaron, I agree. We need to talk to kids about sexual abuse prevention, but they will never teach this in school. Wow. So I can't introduce this legislation. It'll just die. And I'll never forget. I said to him on the phone, I said, well, if you won't help me, I will find somebody that will. 
because it is your attitude that needs to change because so many people in society look at it that way. And that is going to continue to let these monsters abuse our kids and hung up with them. And I found somebody, we got it past Illinois. And now um, I have been traveling the country as far away as Alaska and Hawaii, testifying to legislators. And um, just a few months ago, the 38th state, Ohio, passed Aaron's Law. This episode is brought to you by Consent Parenting, my online platform that teaches parents how to talk to their kids and the adults in their kids' lives about body safety, boundaries, and consent so that they can dramatically reduce the risks for sexual abuse. Head over to consentparenting.com to learn more about the free resources available to all parents so that they can keep their families safer. Now, let's get back to the show. Requiring that we teach personal body safety education. That's fantastic. That's so, I I was getting chills as you were telling me Mm -hmm. that part of the story because I was recently following your journey with Ohio. I know you went there several times. It was really hard to get it passed. Um, And your persistence, you know, you made it happen. But I know that there were so many challenges against you. There were, you know, lobbying groups that were really pushing against this, which, you know, I think for, for people like myself who are in this work, it's kind of mind boggling. It's like, there's this fear, and, and that was one of the topics I wanted to talk to you about today, is this misunderstanding of what is going to be taught and this pushback because, you know, yes. the, the problem is a lot of people think, well, parents should be the ones teaching this information, right? Parents should be the only ones who are talking to kids about something as, you know, sensitive as the topic of child sexual abuse. But, you know, if we are being really honest and looking at the data, not all parents are safe and not all parents are going to be teaching this education number one because either they are unsafe themselves and they're actually you know the abuser two it could be that they just are unaware right they don't have the education themselves because why we don't talk about it in society again you know problematic so if the school is the one that is introducing this you know topic and helping kids have education and awareness It's also, you know, those are the kinds of things that get sent home, just like the dare cards, you know, just like, you know, fire drills. Oh, what did we do today? Well, we learned about fire drills, right? And then the parents like, oh, that's great, you know, and then they can support that education. But if if it's not happening in schools, we can't guarantee that all kids, especially those who are in unsafe homes, whether it's a parent or a step parent or a sibling or a cousin, right? they aren't getting that awareness. And mm-hmm. I think particularly for parents who are just not educated, they don't know that they're supposed to teach this, right? So where else would children get this information? And, you know, so can you tell me a exactly. little bit about in what school. happened in Ohio? Because I think that's a really important um, state to understand the process because you had pushback. And I think, you know, parents can do so much more in terms of advocacy to get your bill passed. So can you share a bit more about what happened and, and you know, what, what was it that finally Ohio. made that bill pass in Ohio? Yes, so Ohio, their big issue, um, mm-hmm. it died. I went after it for eight years. I think about it when I went there, I traveled there with my daughter when she was 10 months yeah. old and she's now about to be nine. So it was just this year after year, this bill dying, finding new sponsors. Um, the big pushback came um, is Ohio is a red state, and there was this big concern. Um, this lobbying group <coughs> was concerned with what was being taught. There was this fear, and this is happening in a lot of states right now. Yeah. A lot of the states that haven't passed it, the 12 remaining are very are red, most of them, not all. Um, there is this fear of there's some agenda, there's some organization that's going to try to squeeze their agenda into Aaron's law. Instead of teaching kids personal body safety, we're teaching kids about you can choose your own gender identity at five years old. We're talking about drag queens. We're talking about abortion. We're talking about, you know, all these other things. There's this fear. So this organization came on strong. It was a Christian organization, came on strong, um, you know, with concern saying, we don't want this because you're going to get Planned Parenthood in there teaching this and Planned Parenthood is going to put their own agenda and teach this, 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 and this. And the sponsors of the bills were, you know, you know, 
saying we're doing it our way and they're saying no they're going to kill this and i'm talking to the head of these committees going if these two mm -hmm. don't agree your bill is just going to continue to die i'm talking to the head of the head chair of education he goes this yeah. lobbying group will kill your bill they will be successful in lobbying these other legislators to say no so i told the senators and the representative i said we need to talk to this group so i got on the phone with them and i'm like and I did Zoom calls with them, and I go, right. let's come to the table and resolve this, okay? Let's see if we can work something up. It might not be the perfect version of Aaron's Law, but as long as we're doing it, we're saving a lot more kids than you guys just both not agree yeah. and letting it die for the ninth year. So I had a lot of conversations with them, um, you know, uh, like I said, over Zoom, over the phone, everything. They wanted some amendments put in there. The amendments were who could teach it because they wanted to make sure organizations like Planned Parenthood couldn't come in and, and teach it. So the amendment, um, you know, they liked. We, we changed that. The other amendment they wanted was, and this was the thing the legislators were not happy about, but I'm like, do it. Majority of the states have it this way. They wanted a parent opt-out piece. Parents have the ability to opt out their kids. People always go, well, Aaron, Parents are often the abuser. Why would you want parents to opt out? Here's the reality. Aaron's law would not be passed in 38 states right yeah. now if we did not allow the opt out. The, the reality is mom and dad are control of their kids and what they learn in school. They have the, the total you know, power sure. of, of what their kids are taught. And if they don't want their kids to be taught something, they can take it away. So the thing about the opt out piece is the letter comes home in school districts around the country saying, Aaron's Law will be taught this month. This is what we'll be covering. If you have any questions or concerns, please contact principal, social worker, whatever. If you do not want your child participate, participating, please sign the form below, and that kid will be you know, put in the library, whatever. Well, people are like, well, the abusing parent is going to sign that. The statistics of kids being abused by right. both mom and dad is low. It's often just one parent and the other parent having no idea what's going on. And the majority of the time, it's the male in the house doing it. The dad, stepdad, mom's boyfriend. So if dad, mom, I mean, if dad, stepdad is having an issue and this letter comes home and is adamant about not wanting the child to participate, that's going to raise some red flags yeah. with mom. Like, hey, why are you making this? The other thing is, is I don't know what it's like in, you know, other people's households, but when I grew up as a kid and in my house now is... My husband doesn't see half the stuff that's going on. The kids bring folders to me. I sign all the stuff. My husband didn't even know Aaron's law was taught. You know, my yeah. husband didn't know they were going on this field trip because I'm the one that's, that's always doing all the paperwork. So, so you know, there, there has to be the opt-out piece and giving parents that option. And they wanted that because they wanted to give parents the option if they did not want their kids sitting yeah. through this. So I was in total agreement. So I was able to get those amendments in place. Who was teaching it? And, and, you know, the whole opt-out piece, and guess yeah. what? It got passed. It got done. That's what I'm saying. You can't just, if you just don't come to the table and try and it has to, to work together. Yeah. And, and it's about educating those people too, right? Does. Because it's, I think there is a, you know, I remember it, reading an article that said something about, you know, the, some of the pushback to you was, you know, this could rob children's innocence, right? And there's this, still this misconception yeah. that... Oh. That's what's going to rob kids' innocence, that right? Lady. And I'm always saying, no, what's going to rob a child's innocence is a perpetrator, you know? And that's what we're really focused on is prevention, right? So that, like, knowledge, yes. it's almost like this idea that knowledge is going to ruin your child. No, knowledge is going to empower your child. You know, it's going to give them an understanding of their yes. rights and what's appropriate and not appropriate. And so I think... You know, I'm a believer that parents absolutely have rights and we should honor and respect that, you know, they should have a choice. And also, you know, one of the things that I think um, could even be beneficial within schools is also sending more information to the parent to explain the statistics, right? Beyond just saying, here's what we're teaching, but here's why we're teaching it. Here's why this is something that really yep. matters that you as a parent should know more about. Not just your child, but you as a parent. So I mm -hmm. think that if we involve parents a little bit more in that conversation too, from the yeah. school perspective, that would be amazing. Oh, you for know? sure. Um, and then parents. second of all too, parents. I think it's mm -hmm. really key for um, parents to recognize that 
it takes a community, it takes a village, right, to prevent abuse. It's not just within the home, but the more we mm -hmm. get comfortable talking yes. about this and making it an open discussion like we did with drugs in the 80s, you know, like so their program, I think it was in the 80s. I'm an 80s kid, right? So I remember that. And, you yeah. know, I remember even the, the stranger danger, you know, messaging that I received. Like, I feel like mm -hmm. in, in so many schools, we're still at this like 1980s level of education around this, you know? Yeah. So let me ask you this, like, now that no you know, it's in almost 50 states, well, it's in, in, in almost 40 states now, right? And so there's these, these red states that, you know, are, are going to potentially give you that same pushback that you got from Ohio. What can parents do to advocate for this, right? Because I think that that's part of what we need to be doing more actively to create that safer village is for us as parents to use our voice and say, yeah. you know, if it's not in my state, but I want it to be, if I want my school district to be able to provide this education, what can I as a parent do to advocate and ask for this law to be passed? So can you share a little bit more about what parents can do in that respect? Yeah, what I tell parents to do is literally go on your state government website, look at all the senators and representatives, go find the committees, and go to education committee. Now, if you got the time, I tell you to write them all, but education okay. committees often where it ends the bill <clears throat> and start writing all of these legislators. Write them all, tell them this is passed in 38 states, what it does, personal body safety education. You can send a few clips of videos I've done in other states saying, you know, this is where it's been passed, me describing, there's tons of videos on my, you know, YouTube page, website, of me explaining the law so they don't have to go into depth, they can just add a link and let them know that this is passed in 38 states. It's now passed in Kerala, India, a state there, a judge has required it. And something I tell people is, yes, it helps to give a personal experience. I was abused as a child. Aaron's law could have helped me and given me a voice, but I was stayed silent for 20 years, 30 years, whatever. But keep it short and brief. Legislators are being, you know, heard by everybody under the sun and so i tell people like, keep it short and brief so they can look at it it grabs their attention and then get them to respond because if you write some five-page novel yeah. you're gonna lose them so you have to keep it very to the point um and, and people can always reach out to me and ask me more pointers videos of what to send them and i can you know direct them who to talk to but education committee the chairs the vice chairs and all of those on that committee other committees to reach out to are like the ones that serve in children and family service committees, that type of stuff that would fall under this. Another issue I've run into is there are states that have passed this and people come to me saying, Aaron, my kids have never learned this. I've yep. never heard yep. about this. What can I do? So one, you may have just missed the letter and didn't know about it. So call and find out if your children have been taught it. Or two, contact the principal and ask them principle this was passed in 2018 2020 why have i never right. heard about my child being taught this because i have literally gotten on some superintendents some state board of education's cases saying why is aaron's law been passed here in illinois for this long but chicago mm -hmm. public schools is not doing it and i made an uproar and i got the illinois state department of education to get on it because they saw how upset i was because i had so many teachers that follow me going Aaron, i'm a chicago public school teacher i have never taught your law i've never even heard of it yeah and it had been required for years so it is going to them sending them the language of the bill in in your state um and saying hey um you know why is my kid not being yeah. taught this? Why have I never why heard is that happening? This? I mean, is um, that just you know, like the school board's negligence or is it the school themselves? Like, how does it get passed down? The school, yeah, there's, oh yeah, the school themselves. Their schools not don't just think they can just, you know. Um, in, in Illinois, there was being no follow through. I told them, I go, how do you, this is going back several years, but I go, how do you know that mm -hmm. these kids' schools are teaching this? What is the, it's a mandate. So explain to me what, how you find out if your schools are following your mandates. Well, they have to check. They, they, it was a joke. They had to like check a box saying what things they covered. I'm like, no, 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 no. Now they threaten the schools with, if you don't teach Aaron's law, you're losing state funding. And you have to show X, right. Y, and Z of what you have right. done to fulfill this requirement. So I'm not hearing from teachers anymore yeah. telling me, you know, no, we're not learning yeah. this. This has yeah. never been, you know, discussed. And something else I tell people now to share is 
make this very brief, mm. but New York killed my bill for eight Which years. Which is shocking. Eight New years killed this bill. Oh, exactly, right? It was one woman. It was one woman killing my bill. That was it. It is amazing what you learn about legislation is mm. how powerful one person in office can be. 120 senators every year passed it. It would come to the chair of education committee and the representative Kathy Nolan did not like my bill. So she killed it every year wow. so that it would never get a hearing. Well, I always told them I'd write all the legislators, including her, and say, one day I will bring you the proof of why I never stopped pestering you to pass this law because you are silencing kids by not passing it. And this, you, this was the, the story with the need. principal, right? So, yes, I, this is a really powerful yes. story. So, yeah, so, please share. First year, first year it is being taught, um, just coming up. Off of COVID 2020 2021 school year, New York schools had to be teaching it. Upstate New York, it was March 2021, a Children's Advocacy Center prevention educator went in and taught these, all these kids um, Aaron's law. Did the lesson? Well, nine children disclosed that they were being sexually yeah. abused in this one school. I mean, usually you get yeah. one or two disclosures, not nine. All coming forward. So the crazy thing is they were all pointing the finger at the same man. Yeah. Their abuser was the principal. This principal was in office and in, in principal in that school building for 17 years. When this was breaking news and I was getting all the news alerts about it, I turned to my husband yeah. that night and I said, there's more exactly. than nine victims. As I said, if they're getting away with it, there's nine kids coming forward. He's been there 17 yeah. years. There's dozens. Well, when the case all came ahead, he was arrested. There was um, wow. 26 victims that had come forward. Wow. I know there's more, but 26 had, had come forward and reported to police. Some of those 26 victims were now young adults saying, yeah, he molested me every month from elementary school, kindergarten on. Kids got on the stand back in the fall. Um, October was his trial. We had a bunch of kids get on the stand saying how this was happening every week. He created a program called Lunch Buddies. And what would he do in his lunch buddies program? He would have his victims, all boys, never had lunch buddies with the girls, only the boys. Yeah, um, exactly. Hello, vice principal, like... hello, secretaries. That doesn't raise some red flags with you? Why the principal mm -hmm. is playing favorites? Yeah. That's disturbing. They always see all these little boys go to his office. He had a trinket of, of toys. He would get these boys after molesting them. His boys got on the stand and shared that. And so he would have all these boys, his way of grooming these kids, creating this whole lunch buddies reading program. And that was the other thing. During COVID, because he didn't have access to these kids for lunch, he created a reading program and got kids to come together wow. with him so wow. he could molest them during COVID. So he was convicted in October, November. He was sentenced to 62 years. But this is a perfect example of it's not the stranger. It is someone of trust, authority. And how long would, it, how long know, would this have gone you, on if that wasn't, wasn't taught in schools? Right? How long? Yes. If, if New York continued to kill this bill. I go back all these years. There was nine-year-olds, 12-year-olds, you know, 13, 14, six and seven-year-olds that were on the stand talk, testifying. And I looked back and I go, had this bill been passed eight years ago? These, some of these kids weren't even in elementary yeah. school. This man would have never laid a hand on them. But we killed the bill. So I, I use this example all the time now in these 12 mm -hmm. states saying, mm -hmm. don't become the next New York. Don't, because this is on their hands too. Yeah. This is on Kathy Nolan's hands too. She should feel pretty darn guilty for not giving these kids a voice and killing this bill. All because she is against school mandates and telling schools what to do. She feels it should be left up to the yeah. schools to do their Which own thing. they won't, because if you have someone in oh, position of power, me. like a principal, they're not going to, by choice, <laughs> in, you know, to bring this into do. the school, you know? So, no. And what's funny, what's crazy is when it was taught in that school that the principal was in, a teacher got on the stand during the trial and said, during the Aaron's Law presentation, the principal came in and was being extremely disruptive. They're talking about you need to tell someone if you're being abused and he's making a scene with the kids saying these kids desks are not social distanced enough they need to be moved apart he was just making this and it all thought it was really weird like what is his deal we're trying to teach this and then a little boy started crying wow. while they were teaching it talking about it obviously i wonder why 
the principal walked over as the teacher described on the stand and whispered, the little boy had his head on the table crying and whispered in the little boy's yeah. ear something. Hmm. I wonder yeah. what he could have yeah. threatened. That's with. horrible. I mean, and this is, I think that is one of the most powerful stories that I think all parents should know and, and take oh, away. Yeah. And when they are reaching out to the representatives in their state, if this law is not passed, or if, this, if it's not being taught in the schools, this is what needs to be talked about. And I had a parent just recently message me, um, I think a, a month ago, saying, you know, um, I asked my, my school if they are going to be doing any body safety education. And their answer was, you know, um, we have a small school and everybody knows everybody and it's not, you know, never been an issue. So it's not anything that we really need to focus on. And I said, you know, Larry Nassar worked in, you know, the gymnastics for how many years? And, you know, everybody thought, oh, he's such a stand-up guy and everybody knows him. And why would we need to worry about any of that? You know, I mean, this is the, what's called the optimism bias, right? And I, I also just posted about that because mm -hmm. it's this idea that it doesn't happen here. It doesn't happen in our neighborhood. Or it's an offender yes. that is trying to, you know, much like that principle, who is, is one saying, you know, we don't need that yep. here. And another thing that I've also heard is that there's schools that are afraid to teach this because they're afraid that there's going to be a, a number of, you know, an increase of disclosures, which is somehow going to reflect bad on the school. And there's this fear of not teaching body safety education, which I was mm -hmm. stunned to hear because it's like, so you're putting the school's reputation Your school's above image. the safety of children, right? And, and which is shocking. Well, and that that leads me to that leads me to say something i have all these parents of those children that were victims all those little boys i have several parents coming to me that are outraged that are going to school board meetings because there were teachers mm -hmm. that knew stuff was going on some even recorded stuff on their phone of him being Cannot inappropriate say. in the hallways with kids and these teachers this vice principal they did not say anything because they feared losing their job. They got on the stand. Well, he told me I wouldn't have a job and, 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 and I'm the principal and I can get, you know, get away with this. Wow. No one's going to believe that I've done, you know. And so he'd sit here and yeah. threaten these, these teachers that they're going to lose. So these teachers put their job, fear of losing their career over protecting children. I am 100% support of these parents that want these teachers, the yeah. vice principal, they should yeah. all be fired. It's disgusting that they were protecting yeah. their afraid to lose their job. And what with the vice principal, she was just sent to another elementary school in the district. Yeah. So, no, she should not have a job. You've, de you've destroyed these kids' lives by not doing the proper thing. I mean, I couldn't believe some of these moms that got on the stand and sitting there talking about how their young 13, 14, 12, 9, you know, kids were so severely depressed. Some of, several of them have attempted suicide. Like then a 19 year old guy yeah. on the stand said, no amount of therapy will ever help me from what this man yeah. has done. I mean, yeah. it was just so, yeah. Ugh, and it's just well, I mean, this is, I, 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 this is why I think you're a hero. I think that the work that you're doing is amazing. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm out here trying to educate parents, but I think when they're up against a school, you know, cause I, I advocate, not just to teach children, but to teach parents and, and for those parents to teach other adults, right? To educate, continue to educate other people. Because yes. number one, the more we talk about this, the less stigma there is. This isn't a topic that we should be fearing. It's something that we should be dealing with head on. Um, because otherwise, you know, kids are the ones who suffer, right? Because we are not being courageous enough yep. to stand up and talk about this. But when I am encouraging parents to talk to schools even daycares, right? I mean, a lot of parents are at this point right now thinking about putting their kids in September for the first time, you know, maybe kindergarten or preschool or wherever it is, even summer camp this summer, you know, for the first time. They are yeah. afraid of how to bring this topic up of asking, you know, what, what are the, you know, policies in place for the educators? Are they being trained regularly on how to spot signs of abuse? or on what's appropriate, you know, in terms of, you know, how they spend time with, with students, right? Like even simple things like that, we tend to take for granted and think, yeah. of course, you know, schools are doing this, you know, of course they're, you know, hiring safe people. But we know that offenders look for 
jobs that are going to be in proximity to children that are going to give them access to children mm -hmm. so we can't just assume that they're doing their due diligence we have to make sure because unfortunately not all offenders have been registered sex offenders right like we know that so many of them aren't exactly so can't just say oh they you know they checked and you know they hired everybody there nobody's you know a registered offender but they might yeah perfect example perfect example yeah. My cousin is coaching for the park district, little 10 year old girl softball. None of these parents yeah. know his yeah. history. Yeah, no, and so Makes exactly. And so Makes me my, my goal is always to get parents to ask the school, you know, are you able to teach body safety? Is that something that you, and also because the more that we educate kids about body safety and respecting body rights, the less likely they're also going to become an offender if they're learning about respecting the rights of others, right? And having others respect their rights. Mm -hmm. um, so when we ask schools and they give us these answers, right? It infuriates me because number one, it took a lot of courage for the parent to ask questions because um, they, you know, think that it's an uncomfortable conversation. I'm going to be seen as that parent. Um, you know, other parents don't ask these kinds of things. Am I going to come off as looking paranoid? And, you know, these are the kinds of stories that we need to be telling, you know, we need to use that example of the principal. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say, you know, I don't trust the people that are in your school, but I want to make sure that there is safety, that there is that safety is being prioritized, right? Because we just never know. And it's mm -hmm. not to say I don't trust people, but I want to make sure that my child is being educated, that the kids in my kids class are being educated, because that reduces the likelihood of yeah. peer to peer yeah. abuse, right? So whatever we can do to lower yeah. those risks is what we need to be doing. And so um, I love that, you know, you gave some concrete strategies for parents to, you know, talk to the schools to, you know, especially if there is Aaron's Law that's been passed. So people can find this information through your website, Aaron'sLaw.org. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's right on there or my Facebook page, Aaron's Law. Um, it shows you the states that have passed it that haven't. Um, and yeah, yeah, and people awesome. can contact me directly, um, of, you know, where to go, who to contact, what yeah, to say. I think that's, um, that's so critical. Questions. And, you know, another thing that I would also encourage parents to do is to come together in numbers. If you are part of a parent teacher association or, you know, in Canada, they're called PAC groups. Um, they can get together and say, you know, we want the school to implement this. They're not Aaron's law was passed here or Aaron's law hasn't been passed here. Let's get together as a group and advocate for this, right? I think there is strength in numbers. And this yeah. way, parents don't have to feel alone in this conversation. They're creating the conversation. They're talking to each other. They're educating other parents about it. And they yep. can come together and, you know, collectively demand this education be taught in the schools. So I, I love that you have the resources on your page. Yeah. Um, so for anyone who's interested, please go to aaronslaw.org. Um, or Aaron on Facebook, Aaron's Law on Facebook, and you can find that information. Is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap up? Um, you know, I, I just thank you so much for sharing so many of those stories and and for the work that you're continuing to do. Yeah, probably just continuing to, you know, April's Child Abuse Prevention Month. Get This is an opportunity to talk to people about this because, you know, it is such that hush-hush silent epidemic, and usually there's people in your community and your friends that are not talking about this until it affects their life. And the reality is with one in four girls, one in six boys sexually abused by the age of 18, you know, this has yeah. happened to somebody, you know, you just might not know it yet because they've kept quiet their whole life. So it's, you know, getting other parents, if you're in mom groups, if you're, you know, getting yeah. other parents talking about this. And the other great thing is, is, you know, there's so many great children's books to talk to kids about this. I want parents to continue the conversation. Don't just leave this up to the school. I'm doing it in the school because that's the one way I can right. mandate. I can't <laughs> mandate all you parents to talk to your kids about this. But I want parents to continue this conversation with their kids. And some parents are like, I'm so uncomfortable. I don't know how to have this conversation. Yeah. Start with a children's book. I have a whole bunch on my website. Start there. There are easy elementary and books. There's so many more than there ever used to be. And that opens up the <laughs> Oh my God, there's tons yeah. now. And they're always contacting yeah, me. Yeah. Put my book on your page. Um, but yeah, read those books to your kids and then kids start asking yeah. questions. It yeah, opens up exactly. the whole dialogue. Yeah, I love that advice. Thank you so much. So 
you know, feel free to also um, just head over to aaronslaw.org. It's an easy one to remember. Um, and just, you know, follow her uh, information everywhere that she's, she's posting it. And again, Aaron, thank you so much for joining me today, for sharing um, your story and, you know, for the books that you've written, for the advocacy, for using your voice. Um, you know, it, it's, it's work that I continue to support and uh, I just wish you continued success. All right, everyone, if you. you found this valuable, please share this with others and, you know, let people know why this is so important, especially this month. Use this month as an opportunity to talk about abuse prevention, what we all can do, especially mm -hmm. through schools. We need this information um, in schools more than ever. You know, unfortunately, the pandemic did not make this issue any better it made it worse the numbers have been on the rise it doesn't help with you know digital spaces also being unsafe and that contributes to it um, so the more that our kids have education and awareness the safer everyone is going to be so please continue to spread the word and and use this opportunity this month to talk about it don't miss the next episode be sure to subscribe to the podcast and I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture one conversation at a time. Stay empowered.